Hello, welcome to the Sorbo Messel podcast. This special edition of the podcast is regarding the first Spanish budget in many, many years. Today I have two guests with me, Owen Gilmartin, who previously joined me regarding the pandemic politics, which is uh, definitely worth a listen to to find out what's been going on between regional and governments and their central government during the COVID crisis. And I also have Tommy Green, who will be able to explain to you the ins and outs of the diner case um, on a separate episode that I did with him regarding uh, the case with Pablo Iglesias and a SIM card. So those are both worth a listen to. Um, Go on, head over and take a listen. Uh, Recently, Tommy and Owen have written an article called Spain's left is winning the battle uh, for welfare, but not the war on neoliberalism. This uh, comes with uh, jacobin.com. And my first question to both of you is, why this title? Why why is uh, Spain's left winning the battle on welfare, but not on neoliberalism? What do you mean by this? And can you give us a bit more context? Uh, Owen, do you want to go first? Yeah, um, no, definitely. I mean, I think, I guess, I mean, firstly, unfortunately, journalists never get to choose their own their own titles. But um, I think this is, it was actually a very accurate title for the, for the piece. Um, and I think it was us, us trying to find, I mean, the piece try and, tries to deal with, like, I guess, the balance of the first year of, of the coalition and the budget that's sort of laying out a plan of where the trajectory for the for the coalition going forward, no? And I think the two, there's probably two big positives in terms of this deal. The first is that it cements, I guess, a progressive governing block um, probably for, you know, a three, four year um, term. Um, and I think when you think about where, where Spain was even sort of, you know, a year ago uh, before last November's elections, um, you know, the, the sort of strict polarization around Catalan independence is sort of, um, yeah, I mean, you know, this this standoff or, um, with the jailing of, of, of the Catalan leaders um, to the point now where Basque and Catalan parties are, you know, have 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 rolled in behind Sanchez and are now backing backing the coalition's budget, and I think that is a, a positive thing to move away from that sort of dynam- uh, culture war dynamic, you know, clash of nationalisms. Um, the second thing is the budget basically reverses a decade of of spending cuts in you know in one go. Um, you know, when you exclude public pensions, which are more sort of linked, I guess, to a sort of um, inflation inflation rates. When you exclude those public pensions, social spending uh, will rise by 29% in 2021 um, and 47% um, on the last PP budget in 2018. That was the last budget passed in Spain. Um, and look, that you know that obviously translates into important sort of important cash injections into the welfare state, into public services, new new social programs like the. Um, Guaranteed, base, uh, minimum, guaranteed minimum income, um, and so look that that those are the, those are the positives. Mm. But I think both me and Tommy were also like you know, you know, you have to be aware this, at the same time, be realistic about the potential room for maneuver of the of the the socialist Unidos Podemos's coalition, like the room for maneuver for you know a southern a southern European stage within the European Union. You no. Know? Um, uh-huh. The limits, the limits for any divergence, any possibility of a sort of Iberian social democratic alternative, the limits are pretty narrow. Um, and you know, that's particularly clear when you come to the wider recovery plan, um, of which this budget sort of forms the first part, the first tranche of, of investment. Um, you know, Spain is dependent um, on, e- on EU fa- financing going forward, both from the central bank and then also from uh, next generation EU, the, you know, the, the 700 billion recovery funds mm-hmm. um, as one of, you know, and there are real limits about what they can spend, what they can do with that. Um, and so, 
you know, look, both me and Tommy come from a left perspective. Uh, we, you know, we know a lot of people within Podemos, et cetera. And I guess what the piece was trying to do was lay out maybe like the dilemmas face, facing the, the Spanish left in, in mm. this sense, you know, as, as the junior partner in this coalition. Yeah. You know, this isn't the, this isn't the coalition that was muted in was it 2016, which would have been an equal, a coalition between equal partners. This uh -huh. is, you know, Unidos Podemos in this moment is with its, what is it, like 30, 35 or whatever MPs, yeah. it's, it is the junior partner. Um, mm. And so, you know, yeah, the, the balance, the balance of power with at cabinet and then the balance of power in the sort of wider, wider frame of like European politics and, you know, um, the weight of like, I guess, the, you know, the economic domestic elites in Spain, mm. you know, that puts massive limits. This isn't, and so the potential for sort of a social democratic alternative to what we're seeing elsewhere in Europe and in the West, which is a, you know, a form of, which is a, you know, corporate, con the sort of COVID crisis leading to, uh, to I don't know, like, you know, Grace Berkeley talks about sort of, um, you know, sort of um, stage, stage monopoly capitalism, right? yeah. the sort of consolidation of corporate power and the sort of interpenetration of the state and like the core, uh, you know, major corporations. Mm. And, you know, well, we can talk about this later, but you can see that in the recovery plan in right. with between between you know the IBEX, the IBEX, twenty cinco listed companies and um, and the government. So, like, I think that's that's where that's what we were trying to find the balance between mm. you know acknowledging there's a lot of great stuff in there, uh, in particular the reversal of austerity cuts, but public spending by itself is not a catch-all solution mm. and. You know, we we also try to look at some of the, you know, the limits mm. uh, to the, to the wider recovery plan. Mm. And Tommy, yeah, so sort of taking, yeah, uh, just to sort of uh, expand on a few points um, that were that were raised there. I mean, you know, this firstly in parliamentary terms, as as Owen's just kind of set out. Um, you know, last last week's vote doesn't only um, consolidate this um, progressive, alternative, uh, plurinational parliamentary bloc uh, that actually voted in the government in January. Um, it actually expands it. So um, in January, in the investiture vote, um, there was a very, very slim margin. Um, the government was voted in by 167 votes um, with 165 voting against. Um, and last week, uh, the budget passed with um, 189 votes against 161. So it was a you know significantly more comfortable margin than the January um, parliamentary majority. And also, it was a more left-wing uh, majority because um, parties like you know, for instance, um, Esquerra Republicana, the Cat Catalan Republican Left Party, um, abstained for the vote in January. And has abstained um, or hasn't voted for. Um, I think uh, I'm not sure if it abstained or voted against the um, state of alarm vote, but certainly mm. Sanchez, um, mm. Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez, um, basically uh, sought and well bro brokered the support of centrist formations, including Ciudadanos, to pass those um, those bills. Um, and in the end, Ciudadanos obviously wasn't part of the. Um, the parliamentary majority for for the for the budget. Um, so I mean, this firstly is is important um, not only in kind of setting out uh, or marking out a path towards potentially more progressive uh, legislation to come further on down the line um, and consolidating what is kind of inherently quite a a fragile. Um, coalition, um, you know, uh, with lots of, you know, incorporating lots of uh, very ideologically um, distinct, I guess, um, formations, um, particularly bringing in a lot of Spain's uh, regionalist politics um, into, into, that, into that majority, but also for kind of switching uh, or shifting 
the axis of public debate away from the sort of culture war that had been whipped up over uh, over Catalan independence, which obviously we saw last uh, autumn, just over a year ago, um, in the weeks during the fallout from the um, trial of the independence leaders, you know, Vox were able to um, make dramatic gains on the back of that framing. Um, and, you know, it's, I mean, Owen and myself have, have um, sort of made the analogy uh, between, and we're not the only ones to do this, but like between the Catalan issue and Brexit and the difficulties Labour had trying to operate within that similar kind of mm. culture war terrain. So that is, as a first point, you know, that is, that really is significant, just um, the cementing of of the progressive uh, parliamentary bloc and uh, kind of an attempt to defuse um, some of those tensions around the national question, particularly ahead of um, a regional, an upcoming regional election in Catalonia. Um, and also, yeah, you know, um, after years of, of legislative gridlock, actually um, managing to secure some of those really quite significant um, spending, uh, public spending increases. Um, some of those figures have yeah, just been um, kind of outlined by on there. Um, and also in particular, I mean, this possibly is inevitable, but you know, um, with particular emphasis on areas of the welfare state, which have really, you know, um, the hacking away of which really have been exposed during the uh, months of the pandemic. So, you know, thinking particular of the health service there. Um, however, you know, on the other hand, coming back to the, the kind of point about the balance of forces, obviously, you know, Podemos is the junior partner within this, within this coalition government. And beyond that, you know, it finds itself as the only uh, radical left uh, force in, in office in, in Europe currently in any way, shape or form. And, you know, even and Spain's structural position, you know, within Europe is also, yeah, you can't be ignored here. I mean, we're not talking, we're not talking a, about a majority Podemos government or, or a government where it has uh, a similar number of MPs as the PSOE. And we're not talking about um, a radical left government in France or Germany or the UK. So that obviously has to be taken into account as well. Um, and I think also just another, another point as well to make here is, you know, it, it's, it's something we're also trying to, to make clear in our piece um, when we're laying out these very, you know, Podemos' kind of strategic wages here is, is also the evolution of the party. I mean, even now when we're, when, when you, uh, you know, and even in some of the discussions I'm listening to now around Podemos, it is often still, particularly outside of Spain, discussed in or understood in the terms of its kind of initial iteration um, when it was, you know, um, well, it had a, when it had a lot more momentum and it was much more clearly a, a project which is articulating um, an, a political alternative to neoliberalism when it had a, a, um, a good deal more, when it didn't find itself as, as I suppose, as isolated as you could kind of you might uh, you might say it is now after you know after the defeat of Corbynism last year uh, and after well on all the and wider defeats for you know uh, for the left internationally so it's also sort of trying to situate the coalition and Podemos's position within it within this broader context in terms of what can what it can achieve in political economy um, that is I guess part of what we're trying to do in the. In, in the piece, whether we whether we achieve it or not, is perhaps another question. But uh, that's certainly the kind of uh, the, the two sides of the equation that we're trying to kind of weigh up. The piece is really interesting because you talk about um, you know winning the battle on welfare, which you know as you pointed out has really been eroded over the past ten years, and due to the European Union austerity imposed or imposed austerity that the people agreed with really. Um, with an increase in spending in nearly all areas of the economy, uh, you know, healthcare, social care are some of the biggest areas, like they're huge. And Pablo Iglesias himself has talked about, you know, um, the care sector being something that he is passionate about. How is the government going to manage this? Um, and 
what is to say the money won't be wasted by right wing um, regional governments uh, like the new pandemic hospital in Madrid that has no staff? Uh, I think Tommy, you, could you answer that question? Yeah, sure. Um, no, it's a really, it's a, it's a very, it's a very pertinent question. I mean, um, as we as we point out in the article, um, you know, a lot of the responsibility for health governance in Spain lies with the regional administrations and. Uh, the possibility that um, funding increases or that policy initiatives won't go in the kind of progressive direction they want, the central government may want those um, policies to go in, um, or that the money may not be, you know, siphoned into, uh, perhaps into, yeah, whether it's into the hands of private firms or into kind of ineffectual projects um like the one you just uh you just mentioned you know it, it is it is i'm sure it, it is something that that the, that the particularly podemos um yes podemos ministers were, were very much uh aware of when they were trying to put together this uh this this deal and i mean you know um it's in, in terms of in terms of the kind of uh the longer term effects of something like that you know it's almost a bit like um for I guess UK listeners um, who might be tuning into this, it's it's almost like a bit like New Labour's record in the NHS. You know, New Labour were able to kind of we were able to say that they oversaw the you know the biggest ever sustained funding increase or increase in the funding settlement for the health service when they were in government. You know, which had a number of, of really positive results, like waiting times being um, significantly reduced among other things. Mm. But you know you have to really look at where the money was going during those years. You know, a lot of, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the spending on the health service was facilitated by um, a variety of public private loan schemes, PFI and PPP um, projects. Uh, they also oversaw the, you know, the creation of foundation trusts and basically to kind of cut a long story short, um, kind of paved the way for the turbocharged privatization of the past decade and really consolidate the private sector's position within the NHS and related services, which even at the time had, you know, um, you know, some quite serious knock-on effects for the quality of services. One of the ways that, um, you know, that that the coalition has tried to sort of anticipate a similar, um, a similar end, end result, you know, and to kind of mitigate. Um, if, 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 if this is, you know, you have to kind of accept to a certain degree that, you know, similar structures are kind of in place in, in, in various regions in Spain's uh, public mm -hmm. health system. Um, one of the ways they've tried to kind of anticipate this is by kind of targeting um, their spending commitments to areas uh, of the health service that um, are less uh, or that are least um, directly affected by outsourcing. So for instance, um, they are putting a billion uh, euro into uh, Spain's network of primary care centers, um, as well as 600 million into uh, nursing homes and um, 700 million of the euro, of the, uh, euro recovery funds um, towards building up um, home healthcare. So, you know, this, these, they, they may seem kind of, uh, they, and it is, I suppose, as part of the kind of the overall 5 billion pledge spending pledge it is only a portion but you can kind of see ways in which um unias podemos ministers um and are actually are trying to kind of anticipate um this money kind of going into um you know uh potentially a kind of a the black hole of of uh of the you know mismanagement of some of the regional administrations particularly with an eye on madrid uh Andalusia, Catalonia, for instance, if, to a certain degree, they, 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 there are certain elements that they, won't, they don't have power over, they have, but um, they are making an effort, I guess, to try and, to try and ensure that, um, that some of this money does really go towards um, sort of reinforcing and patching up a health service that has been obviously depleted over the over the previous decade. Mm. Um, mm. But yeah, look, there are big question marks, you know, um, even in terms of uh, one of the promises, one of the 
short-term promises uh, just to just to draft in 10,000 uh, healthcare workers um, just uh, basically to to and you know um, ensure staffing levels levels are sufficient you know for the final phase of the of the pandemic you know 10,000 health workers you know it's very lots of countries say they want to do things like this but you know the actual reality of trying to um, of trying to you know see see something like this through is actually very difficult um you know in the uk the conservative party last year promised six thousand new gps by 2024 having basically failed to recruit five thousand gps um in the previous five years actually that they had pledged um five thousand more gps uh, in 2015 and the result was basically a net loss of a thousand by 2020 basically it's, it is very difficult to actually I mean, I, 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 I kind of have concerns as to whether Spain has the training capacity to get to pull in to or to produce 10,000 health workers over the course of 2021. And then there's also, you know, when you start trying to um, bring people in from abroad, there is there is always a danger of kind of of cutting corners and approaching uh, professionals from countries where training standards maybe don't align with uh yeah, training standards in, in Spain. So, um, you know, there are there are ways um, in which basically the coalition has tried to, I suppose, work within these kind of these kinds of parameters that have been set by partially by the regional administrations as well as, um, you know, years of uh, of neoliberal governance. I suppose of in um, for want of a better phrase, um, in the healthcare system, but. Um, yeah, there are still big doubts as to whether, you know, in terms of some of their, some of their pledges, whether they'll actually be able to, to, um, to realise them. Okay, there, well, there's an increase in spending on housing, education, childcare. I mean, these are some of the other area, big areas um, that the welfare state is like being reinforced. The, but as one of the people said in your article, these spending promises look good on paper. Uh, but in reality, they don't work as well, which I think you were just sort of sort of hinting at a bit, Tommy. Um, Owen, can you expand a little bit more on that? Yeah, I think that was um, that was a quote from Nat uh, Nacho Alvarez, who's who, who led Unidos Podemos's um, negotiation team. You know? I mean, in the sense, I you know, and I think this is to their credit, they're very they recognise they're very realistic in, the, in these terms. Like, I mean, I think. He was referring in particular to the, I guess, the fallout from the the, the first six months of the uh, guaranteed minimum uh, income scheme, uh -huh. which is which was going to be one of the sort of, um, and probably still can be one of the sort of star star social programs of this of this coalition, and um, to basically um, cover a you know a, a big hole. In the sort of safety net in, in Spain's welfare state, um, mm. I think the problem here is is um, with the with the with the guaranteed minimum income. This was a huge, you know, a huge social program which was going to involve maybe I don't know. I think it was like seven hundred and fifty thousand um, people were were meant to get it in the first year, um, and there's been a huge problem in terms of its rollout. Um, that basically they don't have the administrative capacity, and I think this 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 speaks of one of the other limits that the coalition is facing, which is, I mean, what what does it actually mean to to reverse austerity? Because you know, just raising raising spending, you know, it's it's not like just turning on a tap again. You can't, you know, um, the state's capacity in one sense has been eroded over a decade of you know austerity cuts. Um, and so it, it's not a question of simply releasing the valve on on, on public spending. Um, you know, the staffing levels, the people, the people who need to actually administer and implement these policies just just aren't there. Um, mm -hmm. And so, with the guaranteed minimum, minimum income scheme, it was it was outsourced to a, a private company, wow. uh, which whose workers didn't have the training um, to evaluate. The applications, and so there's been this huge logjam in processing the the applications. 
Um, and this, I mean, this is this has created a lot of bad, uh, um, like a, a you know a lot of bad blood within the coalition, but also just a sense, a certain sense of disappointment among, for hundreds of thousands of people who are who aren't eligible to get the unemployment benefits um, and are left basically without and or have been left without any any sort of income during the pandemic. This was mm. this program was going to plug that gap, right? And I think. You know this. This, I mean, you know, I think it, it would be harsh in some ways to blame the coalition. They have taken a lot of flack for it, but it, it is, it is like literally the administrative capacities of the state just, just aren't there anymore. Like after mm. a decade, they don't a, dec, a decade of um, of austerity and cuts, they don't have the personnel yeah. to and, and the tr you know the trained personnel needed. Mm. Um, and I think one of the weaknesses of this um, of this budget is. That you don't, you also don't, you aren't seeing a huge number um, of, of of new places for civil servants. I think the uh, in 2021 there's only going to be 1,900 places for for new civil servants across all ministries. Mm. Um, and when you yeah when when you take in you know in into account retirements retirements etc. It's not a huge amount. Um, and so. You know, we talked. We talked to Carlos Sanchez Marco, who's a he's the head of um, the economic spokesman for the, for the United Left in Spain, and he very much said, "Look, the, you know, Pesuay, the socialists have no interest in you know the sort of long term spending commitments of building up the, the civil service again. Uh, they are still committed, they you know to the sort of you know slim lined, um, you know, very minimum minimal minimal sort of state." And so this 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 is one one major limit we're seeing um, right. when it comes to the budget. Wow, I I mean I can I'm I'm witness to the the inadequacies of the state. I mean I was a carer for a while for a family member, um, and we applied for um, a form of of funding. I mean we were quite lucky that person I was looking for had money but um you know we didn't get the we didn't get an assessment for months we didn't get we didn't get uh, any money at all for it um and it all came way too late um so you know there are huge gaps as you were saying in that yeah. and especially with the especially with the paddle as well the, the unemployment benefit you get what you pay in and then you're sort of put on something basic for a while and then you're sort of left to your own devices really I mean, this is this is one of the big major problems. I mean, the the weakness of Spain's uh, welfare state, even before the financial crisis in mm. two thousand eight, that you yeah. didn't have, yeah, yeah, this sort of universal access to unemployment benefits that you would in, you know, in the in the, in the north of Europe, um, and it does, it, particularly in an economy in which a lot of people work in the black market or a lot of people, you know, or seasonal, or, or seasonal, or you mm. know, their employers will pay. Yeah, the, their employ their employers will pay them the minimum, uh, the, basically the minimum wage, and the rest is black market. And so it is hard to 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 build up one year credits for the for the unemployment benefit. And then, yeah, I mean this this program in theory, and I think will be in practice eventually will will plug that gap. But it's just that first six months, it it had you know a, you know really a fraction of the number of applications have been processed. Yeah. Um, and so you know this it was it turned what should have been like a you know a clear victory a, you know a, an open goal for the coalition into you know a, you know created a lot of disappointment a lot of, yeah. a lot of anger i mean it's and a it's, bit similar to the um idea that and i've had a couple of people bring this up to me they've said the socialist pie for so we have good ideas but they don't really factor in um you know the the practical elements and one was like the clock in and clock out when you start work that was when they brought in when they first went into power in, in a minority government after they kicked Rajoy out and that a lot of that that law upset a lot of people because they didn't see it as practical and, and the state sort of struggled to manage it really and and I suppose you're fighting an uphill battle and like you said you know the analogy was a tap and austerity it's not just something you can switch back on um so that, yeah, I suppose we're going to see a lot more of these battles. Hopefully, uh, not hopefully. Sorry, <laughs> uh, we're probably going to see a lot more of these battles. Hopefully, they can, uh, you know, try and find a way around 
and getting the state to do it really or carry them out um 26 billion on green energy transformation 23 billion on digitalization um two of the biggest spending areas it's part partly uh sort of part of the the it's partly dictated by the eu that this has to be spent on these areas you know this is what the money's for sort of thing i'll probably not use the word dictated but you know what i mean like um these are the mon- these are the areas you have to spend the money in uh you call it in your article a corporate led recovery fund why is that uh-huh. um no exactly what I, as you say um spain will receive 72 billion in, in transfer from the the next generation eu rescue fund um like after italy it's uh spain is the country which which will receive the you know the largest share and with the an additional option of 70 billion more in euros for um in loans um but it's not clear if they're going to actually take those up um i think i mean look yeah San, you know sanchez talks talks about these funds being used i guess to modernize spain's productive model that's the term he tends to use not you know yeah as you said two-thirds going to the green transition and digitalization um but it's taking place within a framework you know, yeah, heavily weighted towards um, public-private partnerships. And, you know, this uh, both at, at the European level and in this Spain's um, own, own recovery plan. Um, and so much, and I think also one of the other things is a lot of, a lot of it is, is heavily, also, you know, heavily weighted towards um, capital-intensive, large-scale, high-tech infrastructure projects. Um, you know, and th- this is something which we saw before and t- uh, after 2008 with uh, Zapatero's stimulus plan, like the focus was on um, big infrastructure projects. This time it is, it looks more rational. There aren't like sort of, you know, airports in the middle of nowhere, et cetera. But like right. you, there is problems. Like it, it is, um, it is likely to, to, to bet from what we know. And there's a lot of things we still don't know, like, the, the details of what projects will be actually approved, et cetera. But it is, it, you know, these type of large-scale capital-intensive projects are going to benefit, um, you know, certain sectors which which have been dominant in the Spanish economy for for the last decades. You know, and it's not it's not a it's not a plan that is going to that looks like it's going to try and address the imbalances in Spain's current economic model. Um, so, you know, for example, one thing we do know is that 8.9 billion, uh, the coalition are, are going to um, invest 8.9, uh, 8.9 billion in renewable hydrogen, um, you know, new technology, you know, really only, you know, big, big corporations can, can carry these out. Um, and this 8.9 uh, billion will probably, you know, will is most of it's going to go to the three big energy companies in Spain. Um, and, you know, some, a company like Iperdrola, um, you know, if you look at the sort of, I think the Basque regional government is, it, um, already has it in his plan, it's going to it, um, set aside, I think, one point, what was the figure? 1.8 billion to, for Iperdrola to, to digi- digitalize its network. Um, it's another another uh, project that's in the that's been submitted is to build the largest solar you know solar plant. And look, these are you know this is a corporate led green transition, which you know the EU's green deal in general you know follows this model. Um, and it's you know and you can see it elsewhere. It's, I mean, it's again a lot of the the actual projects haven't been approved. They will be improved in, in the next number of months. Um, the Andalusian regional government is looking to build um, a second metro line in Sevilla, which again will be a, pu- a private pu- or public-private partnership. Um, you know, there's 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 a long list, no. Um, and so, I guess um, one of the problems here is that um, you know the idea which the left have have been champion the last year, but, you know, a green new deal, you know, it's, its slogan was uh, system change, not climate change. 
the idea that you can't address climate change without, without actual system change. The EU's Green Deal, we've, the new has been lost at some point because it probably, it's, it's just too, too, too associated with Roosevelt and the, you know, the socialist thirties, et cetera. Uh -huh. uh, um, so the, you know, the European uh, Green Deal, I mean, it, it, is, it, it is this huge, I don't know what, what you want, but like it, it, it's a massive project of corporate consolidation in which, mm. you know, it's, it's the green, transit, green, green transition, not in terms of as a transformative project, but as, as a, a project of preservation of the existing uh -huh. model and of the existing power relations. Um, and, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see because I think part of what the Green New Deal proposes is that it's not these it's not necessarily these huge high-tech you know capital intensive projects which are key to the green transition it's it's more you know labor intensive projects like retrofitting housing like investing in uh in the care economy but like you know on a, on a much greater scale than this budget is um, and and the promise of abundance you know that uh climate change doesn't necessarily mean cutting back you know, a form of green austerity, it can mean uh, a new form of abundance of, of new social goods, new social, you know, collective consumption, maybe free public transport, those type of things. Mm. Now, you, you know, I don't expect any of that to be here, but um, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is a green transformation, or it is a green, a green transition tailored for these big corporations. And mm. I think one of the, one of the, one of the, the things we haven't maybe talked about is, I think when you have the sort of culture of war dynamic in Spanish politics, when you have this clash of nationalisms, you have the threat of the extreme right. And when you have like Pablo Casado talking about, you know, social communi communist governments, et cetera, what tends to get lost is, is, is the fact that probably the most important source of support for Pedro Sanchez as, is, is that of BlackRock you know, Spain's largest international investor. You know, if we, we mean, forget about Bildu and, you know, Scare Republicana. The, the key, you know, the key, the key force of, you know, backing Pedro Sanchez in this moment is BlackRock and Larry Fink at CLE. Um, and, you know, Black, BlackRock, uh, I think is, you know, it, it, it's invested in 19 out of uh, the 35 listed uh, IBEX companies. It's the largest shareholder in multiple of the banks, and it's the the company most likely to benefit from the. Well, for, firstly, it's it's one of the I think if not the largest, it's one of the largest investors in Iberdrola. Um, it's the it's it's going to be the the company that will benefit most from the two big bank mergers that are currently on the table, mm. uh, ba Bankia and Caixa, and Baby Baby Ubia and um, um, not Santander and. What's the other one? Um, it's the other Catalan bank, it's uh, Sabadell. Uh -huh. um, and, you know, it's going to be, it will be the biggest, that merger will be the biggest shareholder in, in, in uh, BBVA. And so, you know, those two mergers in particular, you know, I think the Bankia, Kaisha one is extremely significant. No, like BlackRock is the, the second shareholder in, in, in Bankia after the state. Unidos Podemos' proposal was to turn Banki into a um, a public development bank, similar uh -huh. to what they have, similar to what they have in Germany, you know? like yeah. you know, and you have a you know as a, a strategic public investment bank, uh -huh. um, but instead it's it's we're going to have this merger with Kaisha again. So like you know the 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 support of, the support of BlackRock and and, and of Larry, you know, public support. He um, he told he told Spanish the uh, Spanish uh, the Spanish um, economic elites to support Sanchez and um, and that's that that's hugely significant. Like a mm -hmm. lot of the sort of oligarchs, a lot of the sort of you know the capitalist class in Spain are very wary of Sanchez after two thousand and sixteen when he refused to back back Rajoy and um, um, you know a minority Pepe government. Um, uh -huh. And he went, you know, for them, he went rogue, basically. You know, he, he did that famous interview on Salvados um, in which he talked about the sort of pressure that the um, various 
you know, bankers and, you know, um, key economic players have put him under to, to not form a, you know, form a government with Podemos at that point. And I think there what you know, there's not a huge amount of good, um, goodwill towards Sanchez among the economic class. But, you know, having, having the, the backing of international investors is, I think, you know, is key for him. Um, mm. And so, but it obviously at the same time puts huge, huge limits on what, on what this coalition can do. Um, and, you know, so you're not, you know, this in a sense conditions the limits of the recovery plan of, for example, tap, you know, Black, BlackRock is also, uh, you know, a huge investor in, in, in the construction, construction sector. Now in, in all the, I think it's, you know the four the four largest construct, uh, construction companies in uh, in Spain, wow. and you know and they they are all you know if you, if we want to talk about outsourcing we want to talk about like um, you know like I mean they run the local and regional states basically you know um, for example Ada you know Ada Palau Barcelona probably one of the you know most interesting progressive um, politicians in Europe but you know her home helped system is run is run by Florentino Paris's company. Basically, you know, the, the health and you know the health system at a at a regional level and then you know the local level with street cleaning, home health, all these things have been outsourced. And uh -huh. it is it is very hard when you depend as the Pesway does on these on this type of corporate relationships to then to then challenge it afterwards. Mm. I mean, the, the Pesoe, it's kind of difficult to try and explain to people with, uh, you know, the, the word socialist in their, in their uh, party, party name, that they're, that they're not socialists, they're, they're centrists. Exactly. No, no, exactly. Like, you know, it is, Yeah. this is, it's a, you know, it's, it's a coalition with three, with three factions. Um, you have Unidos Ponemos, you have the, the centrist uh, around, Pesoe around Sanchez, and then you have the Troika, basically. Uh, you know, compared to 2015, when Podemos started, they've, they've lost a lot of power. I mean, and uh, even recently in the regional elections in, in uh, the West Country in Galicia, they, they were basically eradicated in Galicia and they lost half their seats, I think, in the West Country. So they have lost a lot of power. Um, Pablo Iglesias is a very good strategian, in, in my opinion. But um, so you know, they all, Podemos have to obviously have to be careful how they how they balance this uh, act in the coalition. But so do the Pesoe. They have to obviously also be careful because they rely on on Podemos's support. So uh, where can you see the coalition going from here? Because uh, even people on all sides seem to say that the coalition is strong. And as you pointed out right at the start, Tommy, you know, the votes for the budget were was a lot bigger than the investiture vote. Um, so, Tommy, where can you see this, uh, this coalition going uh, with regards to the context of this budget? Well, um, I mean... <sighs> It's complicated. I mean, obviously, we're still, you know, we're at a very early stage, um, you know, in terms of the uh, the lifespan of the coalition government. Um, but essentially, you know, one of the one of the things that we tried to sort of to lay out in the article was um, in terms of Ponemos's kind of strategy on co-governance and uh, I suppose his relationship with the PESO and vice versa, you know, is that it is it, it's wager here is essentially that you know by the you know the survival of the coalition will help it to kind of stabilize its position both electorally as well as institutionally so um i guess in a, in a moment where these other left populist or uh, radical left formations have um i suppose in in very i mean have, have in various ways been beaten back or, or defeated i mean Again, even if, if you go back to the example of the Labour Party in, in, in the UK and um, the position of the, the left within Labour a year ago versus versus now, um, or just over a year ago, um, 
Council for just a year after the general election now. Um, you know, it's basically it's basically hoping that if it can if it can show if it can demonstrate that um, its presence in government can serve to push the peso leftwards, um, can almost keep 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 the peso to its word. I mean, one of its one one of its um, one of the one of the one of the one of Unas kind of campaign lines is very much you know that. And it, and it was often a complaint of a lot of people on the Spanish left, um, you know, down the years that, you know, PESO are kind of, they're very red in, in campaigns and they promise, um, they, you know, they, they, they promise the earth and once they get into, and once they get into office, they, they rarely, uh, back, they, well, they rarely keep their word, but they often backtrack um, or on a lot of those promises and, and water them down. So um, that is part of um, what, you know, Podemos' kind of strategy is with the coalition. Obviously, it has. You know, we've seen in like in other in other standoffs um, in the government, or you know, in, at various points in the year, like Podemos has kind of been reserving its um, its political capital uh, to a large degree for this this battle. Um, it was re it's really important for them in this with this uh, in this like you know a that the that the that the budget passes and b that it manages to extract as many concessions um as it can and there it still has um it still has battles you know ahead of it in that in, in that respect um you know we talked a bit about um the kind of the battle for uh tax reform um even in terms of the announcement of the, of the budget actually um put emas had to 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 on, on on the eve um of its of its being announced officially it had to um threaten to to delay it because um there was a suggestion that the, that the PESO AY wasn't going to commit to a um, to uh, a, a, a time uh, a schedule or a time frame for getting rent control legislation in front of Parliament. Um, they were attempting to secure further uh, expansion of the uh, basic minimum minimum income scheme. And I mean, Calvino actually kind of referred to these kinds of dramatized kind of standoffs within the within the or within the cabinet a couple of weeks ago as um, kind of theatricalities or as, you know, dramatization. But really from Podemos's point of view, it is really important that they do dramatize these, these battles and do actually draw attention to um, essentially it's, you know, what, 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 it's, what it's in government for. Um, it has to maintain a, in electoral terms, a distinct political profile. And it has to be able to show that its presence, the cabinet is actually, you know, producing concrete results. Otherwise, what is the point of of, of, of the past two or three years for for, um, for you know for the project? What is the point in in in, in being in the institutions? It, it needs to make make it clear that its presence at cabinet is is leading to to concrete um, progressive uh, gains. Um, in terms of where this is all leading, obviously, I think it's it's very you know very early days to be kind of making uh, sort of you know none of us have a crystal ball and, and there's a long way to go. But I mean, certainly in the short term, especially after um, you know the um, the division, I suppose on on the in the opposition that Vox's uh, no confidence motion um, produced, um, you know, its position has been cemented. It has been consolidated. It is in a it is in a better position than, you know. I think if, if somebody had said, you know, this is the position they'd be in in a few months' time, I think you know you'd be quite satisfied with that. Um, Spain's politics, particularly its regional politics and the way it interacts with the national picture, it, it is 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 makes it very complex, makes it very interesting as well. But um, it's constantly evolving, and you know, there is obviously plenty of uh, there are plenty of factors that could shift. Um, that could shift things in a, in another in another direction, and of course, you know, I think as basically in, in our conclusion, we we kind of note this, you know, even the the, the qualified um, and modest achievements it, it's made in this in terms of political economy in this package, you know, threaten to be kind of enveloped by these intersecting um, crises, whether that's you know the potential for the national territorial uh, crisis to kind of um, reinflame, or whether it's the um, social 
you know huge social crises that are going to be you know the the to degree the results of, of of the pandemic or whether you know whether i mean this is another thing we haven't really um it, it's touched on a little bit in one of owen's interviews earlier on the year um with manolo uh, manareo but we haven't we didn't really have time to go into it in the in the piece you know whether the conditionalities of the eu um funds of the european funds is going to be austerity mm. a couple of years down the line i mean we are already hearing um sort of noises about um you know um about then there you know potentially being kind of cuts um and some kind of price to pay for um in a, f- a few years down the line already at this point so it's complex um in the short term i think they'll be satisfied but um obviously you know yeah there's a lot um there's there is a, there is a lot of uh there are a lot of uh, caveats and a lot of qualifying kind of uh considerations to 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 draw into that as well yeah thanks tommy and oh is there anything you want to add yeah, no, I think, yeah, that last point is key, isn't it? Like, yeah, what's, um, yeah, what will be the conditionality? But, yeah, we, we still don't know. Like, um, I think it's best, I think we have to understand the coalition from the perspective of, of the Spanish left, from the perspective of Unidos Podemos as a defensive strategy. Um, mm. And I think, you know, and as, and I think it's in part because of the electoral system in Spain, that strategy was open to it. Obviously, it wasn't, it is much more difficult in a strict two-party system in the US or the UK, um, where you, you either have the leadership or you don't. Um, and I think in that sense, yeah, it's, it's you know, 2015, 2016, Podemos was pro- promising, was promising system change, was promising, you know, had a clear alternative state project. And it's not a question that it's lost that, it's a question of changing political conditions. And in this defensive strategy, which is, you know, entering as a junior partner, as Tommy says, basically, yeah, it has to, it has to be seen. And I think not just extract concessions, but be seen to extract concessions, be seen to be holding best away to account um, and pushing them to, towards the left. Mm. Um, but it's very difficult. I mean, they, yeah. um, you know, I think we saw that particularly around just getting a, Getting the getting the socialists to agree to a um, a comprehensive ban on evictions, you know, mm. this was something like this was something which which for example the Tories in the UK introduced in March, but the yeah. but but the socialists be, again because of their ties to the corporate elite, they didn't want to piss off cor- um, you know uh, the banks and corporate landlords didn't uh, you know had a much more limited ban on evictions, only only evictions that were directly linked. To um, to to loss of to loss of income um, that arose from from COVID, um, and so all all the eviction anyone who was in arrears before March was still was still eligible for evictions. And so when the when the courts reopens in June, we saw evictions again. Now, I think it is you know it is impressive they manage you know the way they they basically force. So the socialist hands on this you know it, it's a basic issue but like they had to you know iglesias had to had to reach out to the housing platforms had to work with um you know the basque and castellan parties you know to basically get a unified position and and target all um you know all the pressure towards towards uh, towards the socialists mm. and i think they ma- so they managed to extract that the next the next issue is the is the housing regulations. Can they can they get meaningful housing regulations, which will you know have a you know it's one of the things which I think probably for all of us you know impacts on our standard of living, the cost of rents in cities like Madrid, Barcelona. Mm-hmm. You know, can they can they um, implement meaningful housing regulations, which will allow in high rent zones you know redu- reductions in prices, and which also will allow these reductions to be enforced even in places like Madrid where the regional government will be opposed to it. Hmm. You know, it's, it's that, these are the type of things they need to be doing. And I think, yeah, you know, I think, I'm sure they are also, I don't, I don't know if this is true or not, but I'm sure they're also, you know, what is the sort of longer term trajectory of this coalition? Because I think one of the key issues um, is who will set the terms of, of its collapse or who will its end, you know? Like, you know, what's, what will be the point of contention, which the around which the 
the coalition which will, you know, will, will end, will fall apart or they'll go to elections or whatever. And I think it will be key for, for Iglesias, for Unidas Podemos to set that, to, you know, to set the terms of that end um, and then go into elections basically telling people, look, if you want us to go further, we've pushed them as far as we can. We pushed these like, you know, neoliberal centers as far as they can to, we can to the left with the, our given support, our 35 MPs. If you want us to go further, vote for us, back us. We mm. need more, you know. And so, you know, I think that's going to be, this is, and I think, you know, they are very aware of this in, in you know, this is the, at least I hope they are. It's a conjunctural alliance. No, like at the end of the day, the the project, you know, the the Pesaway project and the Unidos Podemos project are are not compatible. It's a question. It's you know, it's a question of which which is the the larger force and can you know yeah. properly impose its agenda. So I think they need to be looking in, in those terms. You know, how going forward. Yeah, and uh, I think that's good. And just finishing on on that note, uh, it's also worth so it's obviously worth reading Tommy and Owen's uh, article that we've just been talking about. But also uh, Owen's interview with Pablo Iglesias, where I think my, one of my favourite quotes was well, two quotes. One was a crisis turns neoliberals into neo Keynesians and and back full circle to neoliberal again by the sounds of it. And um, the worst thing, you know, the, this is the worst thing that the Spanish right could hope for was the Spanish left being in power when they've got all this money from the EU to, to invest. Um, so, yeah, they were both very, very strong points, I think, that hold true probably for the future as well. Yeah, I think, you know, he's, a, he's an articulate guy, I know. Um, um, and I think very... What what you get, or at least what I got from the interview, is also very clear-headed. Like he knows, he knows what the, you know. He knows who he's in bed with. He knows the limits. Um, mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think you know, yeah, very, you know, very, you know, he is a, he is a very strong strong political leader. Mm. Unfortunately, obviously, you know, you need you need a movement. You can't just be about yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, you know. You know, yeah, consummate politician. Yeah, and and also, I suppose it's what happens when populists get into power. They have to try and find that middle ground that theory hasn't sort of built for them or whatever. Um, and it's quite a common thing, isn't it, to see populists getting into power well, I, and then not really knowing. I think it's. I think it's. I think his answer. His answer on populism was was what for me one of the more interesting, and I think. The Spanish version has a longer answer. It was slightly edited in the English version uh, of the interview, but um, you know, he he very much says like that. You know, frames Podemos' populism as a, you know, I guess as a you know a, a discursive tactic in a particular moment. Uh -huh. But that, but that, like you know, there is a need to, uh, you know, like given the sort of reordering of the political field after two thousand sixteen. But Amos also had to, you know, yeah, yeah. re-reevaluate its discursive strategy, and you know, it is true that like, um, you know, it, it it has embraced its role now as a radical left party, and but like, look, that was necessary, you know, um, yeah. yeah. Thanks for joining me, guys. That was great. Thanks, thanks for having us. Um. And in the couple of in the coming weeks, I will have uh, interviews with Caroline Gray talking about territorial politics in Spain, um, and regarding her book on territorial politics following the financial crisis. Um, we'll also have um, a history of anarchism in Spain with Jim and Danny from the uh, Anarchist Book Club podcast. And we will also have some history on Basque nationalism and uh, modern day Spanish or well, Catalan politics. Uh, thanks very much for listening to Sol de Mesa. I hope you have a great week.